I'm Bay, and you're listening to Bay Baltimore, a weekly pop culture and society podcast recorded in a quiet neighborhood in Baltimore. This episode, okay, I tried. I so it's it's Huluween on Hulu, right? And if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you know that I'm a Freddy cat. But like, I also like to watch scary movies. So I'm like all over the place. Um, But long story short, um, I tried to watch a bunch of scary movies this go round. And I don't know, I think I'm just in a different headspace. It's possible that I'm just in a different headspace because I tried to watch this movie called Censor and it's on Hulu right now. I don't know. Hulu doesn't do the same ratings as like the rating systems as number one in your country as um, Netflix does, which I will get to Netflix in a second. Um, But it showed up on my feed. And so I watched it. Boy, I have, it's, it's a, it's a ride. And you know what? At this point, it's going to be one of those. This movie is going to be one of those that is going to be like a cult classic. I can feel it. I can feel it. It was um, released this year and I have no idea about the ratings. So I have to look into the ratings. Um, I don't know anybody who starred in the thing, but like none of the names are familiar to me, but I imagine, I imagine if. I was talking with somebody who's from the UK because the film the film is out of the UK. So I, I imagine if I was talking from about to someone from the UK, they'd probably be able to point out where I might have seen them, but just don't know it. Anyway, so I'm gonna talk about censor. Um, but first, I can I'm just let me just circle back around to um, Netflix. First off, let me just say that I'm extremely tired at the moment of me recording this thing, I decided that I was going to stay up with um, the hubby and on a work night and and watch football and play spades. But like the way we played spades was I've never played it before. So we acted like there was a third person, only the third person's it was just us two, and the and we acted though when we were pulling cards, we acted as if um, there was a third person pulling those cards. Only those cards were just discarded, um, and so this is how we did it. So you know the the whole pack of the whole pack of cards, right? Um, so it's all the cards minus the two of what is it? the two of diamonds or something. I don't know the, the whatever is t- taken out to replace the, so that we could have the big joker and the little joker, whatever, whatever cards are removed anyway. So it's all of those cards and literally whoever goes first, you, you, the, the name of the game, not whoever goes first, both, both of us, we drew two cards, but we had to discard one. And that's how we created the, the discarded cards equaled the third pile. Only we didn't, again, once we were finished, I I had my 13, he had his 13. 
the remaining cards just sat there and then we played with our deck. I have never played Spades before. I've never seen anybody play Spades like that before. But I guess, you know, card games are were invented for people to have something to do. So I'm quite sure the different ways that you can play Spades and different card games um, were also invented by them same people under those same circumstances. So anyway... So we're up playing spades and, you know, we're going 500. So, you know, it takes a minute to get there. And I am not the best spades player, largely because it's too cutthroat for me. And I think I've talked about this before, but like my family, my friends, I I get so self-conscious about playing because I'm not really good. I'm not really good at it. And I'm, but I'm super competitive at the same time. I do not like, I'm a sore loser. I don't like losing. I don't. Um, and so my attitude towards games, unless I know I'm going to win, which is so trifling, right? Unless I know I'm, I'm like, my skills are, are, are virtually unmatched. I'm, <laughs> I typically try to not to, cause I want to win, but uh, sometimes I'm not a brat and, and I play anyway and, and I'm cool with it. And, and this time I was cool with it, even though <laughs> Even though um, I'm not the greatest at it, but I tend to avoid games like um, like um, space because I'm just not good at it. And I have not had enough practice to get good at it because I'm so self-conscious and about my skills and you black, you listening to me, you know, your family, your friends, they'll say they'll keep it cute. They will say, they'll tell you what you want to hear. And then you get in the game and they're like, I can't believe you cut that. You cut that. I can't believe you did that. You, ooh, you reneging. You reneging. Because God forbid, I actually, I don't do my, po- <laughs> now nah, I know this is dead wrong, right? And I'm, I'm learning, right? But like, I am notorious. I'm sitting up here holding my card like it's goldfish, right? Or like it's any other card or any other card game where it do not matter what books you have, right? And so in spades, as you know, it do matter. And so if somebody throws out hearts and you forgot that you saw you had a heart, uh, a heart, but you throw out a spade, you reneging, like not reneging. What is it called? I can't remember. I'm, I'm just using terms now because I don't really like I, <laughs> I don't really know. But you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And that's cheat that they look at that. They look at that as cheating. But it's not cheating for me because I be playing space like as goldfish. And so <laughs> am I saying goldfish? Goldfish. Anyway, so I'm, I'm my point is I'm getting better. But I decided on a work night that I was going to get drunk and play spades with my hubby while we were watching football is the moral to that story. And so I am. Oh, I am exhausted, but we had fun. Um and I'm almost ready for the world. I'm almost. We got to, I won, I won the first um, match, I guess. Um, he And I won it pretty handily. He won the second match. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you what I did. Oh, let me tell you. So I'm just talking about spades now. So I guess I got, I'm reinvigorated. I think I'm almost ready. For, like I said, I'm almost ready for the world take the show on the road but um my very first hand with hubby or match with hubby playing spades I I I got wheels I got wheels but uh, because I'm not confident in my ability I didn't call wheels but I got wheels (laughs) y'all is that a Boston I wonder if that's a Boston 
We call it wheels. I wonder what the heck a Boston is. Anyway, anyway, I got wheels, which all that means is I got 10 books. I got all 10 books. And in spades, you can only get 13 books, right? So if you get wheels, nobody else had much. Only, there are only three other, if you had, if you got wheels, that means you got all, 10 books and there are only three other books out there. Now, in, in, when you're playing just two people, of course, it's a lot easier for somebody to get wheels. Uh, technically three people with that discarded pile. It's a, I'm sure it's a lot easier statistically for somebody to get wheels. It's just, I've never seen anybody get wheels before. Um, but in, in spades, you typically pay, play in doubles. So a, a double, a pair, it's likely a pair could get wheels. Um, but it's probably statistically harder because of how you're doing things. Anyway, but I got wheels, but I didn't call wheels. And so can you believe it? If you get more books than what you call you. So each book is 10 points, right? Each book or each. Yeah. Each, each, uh, hand that you win is called a book. Each book is 10 points, right? So can you believe it? If you get, if you call, if you call, um, what is it? What is it? If you called if I got nine books, but I, I, I got nine. I called nine books, but I could have got wheels. I could have called wheels because that's what I got. And so nine books is 90 points. But if you get one book over, it's not it's not 100 points. It's only 91. That hurt my feelings. And, And he would not give it to me. And I was very disappointed because I just wanted him to give me wheels so that I could say that I got wheels. But of course, no. Anyway, the second time he whooped my tail. So anyway, I ended up, I ended up winning that match because you go to 500. And so that took us a minute. I can't remember how long it took us, but anyway. So, um, and if you are not a part of the African diaspora, and even if you are a part of the African diaspora, but you don't know what the heck I'm talking about with spades, Google spades, because you are missing something in your life. It's a card playing game. You are missing something in your life. I don't want to assume that everybody that's listening under the sound of my voice knows what the heck spades is. But don't deprive yourself. Not all your life. Don't you do it. Don't do it. And don't don't deprive yourself of the beauty of listening to listening to a bunch of black people play spades because that's even more rich. There's a lot of slamming. There's a lot of uh, talking stuff. There's a whole lot of cackling and there's a whole lot of hurt feelings, too. Um, and trash talking after the fact, you know, the thing I love about spades the most is after the game, the, the, uh, the, uh, play call, not the play calling, but the, uh, the dissection of the game playing after the game, best thing in life. It's so great. It's so great. Anyway. So, but anyway, so we, oh, the, so that was the first, the first match, second match. Um, he handed it to me because I think he was, his pride got to him. You know what I'm saying? Me, an unseasoned, uh, spades player, him, a very seasoned. When I tell you, baby be playing, baby be playing every chance. Baby plays so tough. This is how tough he play. When we travel, he always has a set of cards, right? But it goes deeper. It's not just that he has a set of cards. He has a set of cards for when we're going to be in dry in a dry environment. And he has a set of cards when we're going to be on the beach or in a wet environment. That is, um, 
next level to me. He always has a deck of cards and he, and get this, he always gets a fresh set. Cause you know, he can't be caught out here with no whack, bent up, beat up cards. So he keep that thing on him is my point. And I'm like, wow, let me step my game up. Um, and I think that's what p- part of the reason and just renewing, you know, renewing my mind and, and on a lot of different things. I'm like, okay, well, let me just do this. So like I said, I'm almost ready for the Wura. Um, I just need to, I just need to get a little bit more practice. I need to get a little, get a little thicker skin when it comes to card game, uh, when it comes to spades. I don't know. That's going to be a different, that's going to be a harder challenge because baby, I <laughs> I think my next opportunity, my, um, my soul roar, um, she's, she's hosting Friendsgiving. And so like a, uh, yeah, like Friendsgiving. So we're gonna go over there. It's a s- small group, you know, it's still in the time of COVID. And um, we're gonna play space there because I know my hubby, she and her hubby play. And I know that hubby is gonna have, my hubby is gonna have his set because we know what it is. Like I'm telling you now, he gonna roll with a set. He not gonna say nothing, but it's just gonna magically come out. Um, at some point after we eat. And so I'm, I think I'm gonna debut. I think I'm gonna do my first tester with the wear up at that Friendsgiving. We are gonna see, but just pray for me y'all because I'm trying to renew my mind, trying to be different. And I'm also trying to build up my skills. I think I got it right. I think sometimes, you know what it is? Spades is not overcomplicated, but there are a lot of nuances to it. And you gotta pay attention. You, you, you gotta pay attention, which it isn't hard, but it's hard to learn if, oh, here's the other thing. This is something that I meant that I forgot to mention. There's another reason why I really don't know how to play spades because black folks don't teach you how to play spades. This, it's a rare thing. <laughs> I love my people, but y'all don't, we do not love teaching people how to play spades. Some of us do. Like hubby took the time out. He also whooped my tail the second time. Oh, let me, uh, let me, let me tell you what happened in the second one, but let me finish this. Like, it's not something that we teach often. I've not seen it. And my mama is a bad spades player. Well, I'm too cold blooded. My mama is cold blooded with the spades. Like, I'm not joking. This isn't hyperbole. She's cold blooded with it. Um, If you ever, like you get with somebody seasoned, no, if you get if you get with somebody who was born in the fifties or born in the sixties, I dare say even even the seventies, but really it's that sweet spot. Actually, forties, fifties, and sixties, for sure. For I'm certain of this, you run into a black person who plays cards, and they were born in the forties, fifties, or sixties. I'm telling you now. They're cold-blooded as spades. Don't even, don't question it. They are. Um, it's something about that that uh, 30-year period where they got real cold-blooded with it. Um, and don't even get me started on bid whisk. You know I'm never going to learn that. I, I, I say I'm never going to learn it now, but watch. As I get older, I'll probably learn it, and then I'll probably turn around and, and cut up them young'uns with a uh, bid whisk. But... These games, again, it's about getting in the groove 
And sometimes the, the learning of the playing is watching people play it for a while and then somebody taking pity on you to teach you how to do it, to teach you how to play the game. But yeah, my mama, my mama, my daddy, my daddy cold-blooded too, but not as cold as my mama. This thing is cold. Anyway, um, oh, it's so tough with it. Anyway, um, yeah, but that, that, <laughs> that 40s, 50s, 60s crew, ah. anybody from the 70s, 80s, 90s, even in the 2000s, although I have not played spades with anybody who was born in the 2000s, so I don't know if the gene was passed on. I don't know if the learning has continued. Um, you know what I mean? I don't know if that cultural custom has been picked up, but I can remember in school, in college, the black kid crew that I uh, that I uh, rolled around with, of course, we were playing spades, and some of them were cold-blooded with it too because some of some some someone in their life took pity on them and said, here, baby, let me teach you how to play cold blood space. And so anyway, I can now count myself. I'm not cold blooded, but I could, I could count myself among the players. And like I said, I'm going to debut, I'm going to debut my public space playing skills at my Soros, uh, Friendsgiving, <laughs> Friendsgiving. And we're going to see, I'm going to come back. I'm going to let you know Okay, how I do. But until then, in the meantime, in between time, I'm going to practice with Boo Boo. Um, he probably going to whoop my tail again because here's the second. So in the second, in the second match, because he wasn't playing with me no more because I whooped him so bad. I got a, uh, I got a, I want to know what a Boston is. I'm going to look that up. Hold on. Let me, I, I got a, I got wheels. What the heck is a Boston? Because I can't talk. Because here's the thing. I love talking stuff. Here's the other thing. I love talking stuff, but I like, I can't talk stuff in space because I'm a little bit out of my element. A Boston in space. Oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. The act of embarrassing your opponent by winning all the, oh no, that would never happen. No way. Oh, a Boston. Okay. So wheels is 10 books. A Boston is 13 books. That means you got, you going to snatch every last one of them. And in order for you to snatch every last one of them, you have to be so cold blooded with spades. First off, it means that not every, the spades come out at the end, right? That means that you need to be able to, if somebody throws out a queen, if, if somebody comes before you and somebody threw out a 10 and then the next person threw out a J and then the third person throws out a queen, you better have that king and you throw that out and that's how you take that book, right? Unless somebody's throwing out the ace, unless you have the ace, like you, you throwing out that book, right? Um, like you have to be so good with it. I don't even think I explained that super well, but the idea in spades is that you're trying to take, you're trying to take a book and a book is the top card that's been thrown out of the four people that threw out a card in that round. And yeah, so a Boston, in order to run a Boston, you have to be so cold-blooded with it. It's stupid. And I don't think I've ever seen anybody run a Boston. And maybe I can be that person because I got wheels. And if I could just get good, I could get a Boston. But uh, anyway, let me get back to that second round. I was, it was a, I was about to say a cross between a round and a match. And it was going to be a rounch. Should be a new word, a rounch. It's a round match. Rounch. Anyway, it's more a rounch than match. Anyway, um... Let me get to my point. 
So he beat me bad. Um, but here's the deal. He beat me. He beat me by. No, he didn't beat me bad. He beat me by 30 points. But I went blind six twice and got my books. Blind six. When you say when you're going blind six, here's the deal. You in, in spades, you after you get your cards and you organize them. And again, organization is key because you cannot throw out an order. Or you're, if you're playing like for the big dogs, like you get thrown out of the game or you lose 100 points or whatever. I don't really know. You lose a lot of points, but it's a, there's a penalty for you throwing out of order. Anyway, so you get your book or you get your uh, hand or, and organized and you and your partner, the one time you can talk across the table is in the very beginning of the game. Now you can just talk stuff, but you can't like communicate with your partner about what's going on during the game. That's, that's uh, called talking across the table. Um, I'm trying to help somebody. I'm trying to help some, some poor soul who like me does not know how to play spades very well or at all. Anyway, so you can't talk across the, the only time you can talk across the table is before you actually play the game. When you, when the the pairs are deciding how many books they're going to get. And so that's why organization is important because if you, you, you got to make sure that you know what you have and your highest cards, based on your highest cards, that's what you determine if you're going to, how many books you're going to get. So if you've got, if you've got all the aces of all the suits, hearts, uh, hearts, diamonds, clubs, uh, spades, then chances are you probably have four books. You probably have four books. You probably don't have that space, but actually you probably have four, four books. It just depends on a number of different factors. The ace of all of the, uh, the aces aren't the highest cards, the highest cards to ever play. They're the highest cards of the suits, but they're not the hardest, highest cards to play. The ace, well, I take that back. The ace of hearts, diamonds, and clubs are the highest in their suit. But the ace of spades is not the highest spade in the, in, the, in the spade family. The highest spade in the spade family is the big joker. It goes big joker, little joker, the two, the deuce of clubs. Because somebody decided that the two of clubs is a big, is a high card now. Um, and I still don't understand why that is, but whatever. So the, the two of clubs is a high card. Then it goes ace of, of uh, not the two of clubs, but the two of spades is a high card. Then it goes ace of spades, right? So you may have four books depending on how things are played. Cause the thing about it is you throw out that ace of spades, the minute you throw out that ace of spades, unless your partner has both of the big jokers or you have, you have a big joker and you have the big joker and your, and your partner has the little joker. But you don't know that because when you're talking across, when you talk across the table in the very beginning, you're not saying what you have. You're saying how many books you think you can make. So I wouldn't throw out that ace of spades unless I was trying to draw out that joker. Because if somebody throws out an ace of spades, unless they're just being real coy, especially if it's late in the game, you throw out that ace of spades, ain't nobody going to throw out their big joker or their little joker. Not for real, not early in the game, but later in the game, absolutely. So if you hold on to that ace of spades... Because you know it's not the highest card in the in the spade family, you, you the only reason why you're throwing that out is because somebody's trying to you're either trying to somebody throw a low through a low spade out and you can't let that thing walk um, so that you can take the book, or you trying to draw out the the uh, the deuce of spades, the little joker or the big joker. 
So anyway, so in this context, again, you have the ace, you have 13 cards, but among your 13 cards, you have the ace of spades, the ace, the, all the aces and the, in the suits, you have all the aces. I don't know that I would call. I don't know that I would say that I would have four books. Um, I would say that I would have three and a possible, but that's just me. That's simply me. And, and this is assuming that you don't have any other, if you, if you have a little, if you have the little joker, I would say four. If four and a possible, I would say if you had, if you had um, in your 13, in your 13 books, I would say if you had two other spades, whatever the number, I would say, yeah, you, it's, if you had the, if you had, if you also, in addition to having the ace of spades, if you had the king of spades, I would venture to say that you, you have a five and a possible, but I wouldn't. Go to, uh, and again, the possible is the ace of spades. It depends on how you play it. But again, this is coming from an amateur spades player. I bet you whomever is listening to me, if y'all are hardcore spades player, you probably are screaming at me at this point because you probably know a different way of playing this thing or are you, you, more cold, you are cold-blooded and cold-blooded people know how to get there a little bit better. But cold-blooded people can, can run a Boston. Cold-blooded people can't run to Boston. I've seen my mama get wheels more times than I can count. Some of, some of the times when she got wheels, she was snatching somebody else's book that they just didn't play right. Meaning they had a higher card that they threw out, but they didn't throw it out. And so as a result, mama took advantage of it. And she took a book that should have been that other person's. And it is what it is. It simply is what it is. So I've seen mama get, I've seen mama with her partner. Sometimes it's daddy, sometimes it's somebody else. Uh, but I've seen her get wheels almost every, every uh, match that I've seen her play. So that's not every match she's ever played. But like I've seen her get, uh, get wheels more times than not. More time, not more times than not, but more times than I can count. And so anyway, because she's just cold-blooded with it. Um, anyway, but yeah, he, he beat me bad. Well, he didn't beat me bad. He beat me by 30 points and we were going to 500. So he beat me by 30. But at the end, I went blind six twice, which is double. So if you go blind six, that means before you even get your cards in order, in order for you to go blind six, you're saying, I'm going to get six books regardless of what I have in my hand. Even though you, you, when you're going, when you're pulling cards, it's completely random after it's been cut, shut, uh, shuffled and cut. The cards have been shuffled and cut. There's no, you, you can't, you don't know what you're going to get. So if you're on blind six, that, that means, listen, I'm trying to win this game or I'm trying to come out of a deficit and I'm going to just figure this thing out. I went blind six twice and got my books twice. Actually, the second time I got more than my books. I got, I think one more book than, <clears throat> I think I got seven books. And anyway, when you go blind six, that's double. So instead of it being 60 points for six books, 10, 10 points a book, you get 120. So I was doing, I got 240. I was doing my thing. It still wasn't enough though, because hubby was always betting. He not betting, but he was, well, I guess that is bad. If you have money on the line, but I've never played space for money. Um, or I've never seen anybody play space for money, but I know they do it. Um, but anyway, so hubby's always going seven and nine and six and stuff like that. And I was always keeping it safe because I'm not confident in my spade. Well, I wasn't, I was less confident in my spades playing ability than I am right now. So I just, I don't know why this turned into me talking about spades, 
for 20 minutes, but here I am talking about spades and my invigorated love for them. And I will, like I said, I will be back in touch um, after Friendsgiving, if I remember, to tell you my progress because I'm going to get in the world. I'm going to, I'm walking into my auntiedom. I'm walking into my auntiedom and in my auntiedom, spades has to be a part of my life so that I can, while whooping these children and these other adults who thought that they was cold blooded in this game, I also need to then share life lessons. And in order to do that, I, you know, I got to get good. Um, so I'm stupid. No, but I just, it's something I wanted to do. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm learning it. So pray for me. Anyway, um, but now to Netflix, because I do want to talk about the film. I'm going to tell you right now, it's a wild ride. I, I already told you it's one of those cold classics. So you kind of already know where I'm going with this. Um, <clears throat> but um, Netflix is on my nerves, even beside that, that whack um, a defense of plan DC's uh, stand up, latest stand up and how much of an out of touch person he just sounds at this point. Like it has age has nothing to do with it. I have seen some in touch 70 year olds, some in touch 80 year olds. So age has nothing to do with it. He's just stuck like Chuck in his ways and he's dusty, musty and just stale at this point, but whatever people like that. So that's why he keep getting money from organizations like Netflix, who is to rifling. And I've even outside of this, you know, I thank God for people just kind of standing up and saying, hey, listen, like Twitter, social media can be a terrible place because it's literally a forum for anybody to hide behind a social media screen and say whatever. I talked about that last episode, but it also is an opportunity to amplify. It's an opportunity to have your voice amplified in and about a subject that might not have been amplified in any other way. Case in point, Black Lives Matter. Case in point, Toronto Burke and Me Too. There's no way it would have been, there's no way that, that we collectively would know anything about these movements, but for the amplification power of social media. Like we can't say that. Even uh, case in point, like even here when the um, uprising was happening, Back in 2017, when was it 2017, 2015, when the uprisings happened here following the death of Freddie Gray, I found out about it on Facebook and I found out about it. My, the post that I saw was hours after someone close to the family had either close to the family or the person that had the video. It was hours after he released the, the video of him being carried out was released and them finding him, um, saying that he was dead hours, uh, maybe, maybe 24. And from there, I didn't know what it was going to turn into, but then on social, social media was the thing that told me what was, what was about to go down. And I would not have heard that any other way. And I first saw the post from a girl that I go to church with because she shared the post because she, um, she had a family member who she alleged lost their life due at the hands of police brutality in Baltimore. And they, I don't know if the family got a settlement or what, but, or whatever. She was basically lamenting, 
listen, we this stuff keeps happening and they just keep throwing money at it. Like enough is enough. Enough is a doggone enough. And so anyway, that was the context under which she shared it with me. And then from there, it just more people were sharing it. And then it jumped on Twitter from what I saw. And then it just blew the heck up. And I actually have a little book about the tweets of Freddie Gray, how it how it kind of blew up. And it, even in the book, the very first tweet, I remember seeing that again, at least less than it, it was either 24 hours or less than 24 hours after he he, he was um, pronounced dead. And the video, the video was going right around the same time the video was going. I was part of the storm that made it viral because I shared it too. Because I, I just, and, and the initial sharing was just sharing information about what happened, not the actual actions. The actions and the calls to actions came later and were a little less organized and, and, and intentional, but like it was less politicized, it was less publicized and more about let's get out there or something like that. And so bam, you know, and I don't pretend to be a part of that vanguard of folks that were coming out saying something got to give, but I definitely remember seeing it early, very early. And then it's, it snowballed. And so that would not have happened as big as it did, but for social media. And so there's good and bad with this and we know all about it. And again, I go back to um, 15 minutes of shame. 15 minutes of shame is so good because it ha- it's, when, when the bad side of social media comes out in the worst way, like amplified a million times. But anyway, but so circling back around to Netflix and they punk behind. Um, are they, so this, the thing I love about talking about how musty and stale DC and his, and his standup is right now, it led to further discussions about Netflix's practices. And I've said time and again, like if you go on their their front page, most of the shows are recycles of something else and they mostly are white folks. Very few people of color, even even the characters that are supposed to be some sort of mutation are played by character, white character, white people, white actors. And so we already know that Netflix has a colorism problem for every for every Korean uh, K-drama that you throw out or K-series that you throw out or murder or revenge plot that you throw out. It's like five to 10 predominantly white casts, right? Um, and it's, it's, it's the same for anything. So let, let, Latin, Hispanic, um, I think uh, the Bollywood, there's some stuff that's coming out of Bollywood for all of those genres that you have on there. It cannot compete with the sheer weird beigeness of the shows that they actually put a lot of money behind and push. And so anyway, if you go on their page now, they have another DC comic show that's out there and it's looking very beige again. But anyway, so that's a conversation that is kind of continuous. And at this point, it's kind of a running joke. But the thing that I'm hearing now, what I learned in, in, in talking about how trash Netflix's executive has, I can't believe Netflix executive actually came out to defend putting on that stale comedy show. Um, but all right, whatever. Like, don't know why he made, he made a statement other than he was the one that really liked that show and really liked Dave. Oh, I said his name. Anyway, um, but 
anyway, so, so yeah, so, and if you like that stand up, I don't know that we have too much else to talk about. He ain't funny. He not funny. He not. He not funny. I even go back and I watch the Chappelle show. It's not as funny as I thought it was when I was 20. 22. You know what I mean? It's not that uh, it's not that funny to me, but whatever. I'm not finna. It's whatever. But like the thing, the other thing that I appreciate is that the day of the release of that thing, a trans uh, uh, worker, a a staff member at a, a trans staff member at Netflix Release, release the statement saying, you know, my company is about, and, and added them too, because it was going, you know, you're not going to play in their face. You're going to say it out right. You know what I mean? You're not going to, they weren't throwing a rock and then hiding their hand. They're like, here go my hand. Here go the rock I'm going to throw at you. And so they talk about, you know, it's, he, he'd be saying some transphobic stuff. It's not cute. It's not funny. He's stale. And Netflix is behind this and supporting it. And then, of course, that person got um, suspended following that post, but that post created some revelations that I didn't realize. I don't know if the person that initially threw the rock um, exposed this or someone that came behind him who also, or them, I said him, them threw the rock and exposed this piece, whatever. But early on in this whole conversation we're having about Netflix and the trashness of some of their choices um, and some of their execs, um, it came out that... um, the documentary, the documentary about trans actors in Hollywood, somehow or another, the people who contributed to that tra- to that doc, it came out that the people that contributed to the doc, the trans people that, that contributed to the work in any way got paid peanuts while Netflix themselves got paid millions, probably a billion or two, but like millions of dollars in revenue off that doc. I cannot remember. It's not when they see us. It is when they see us. When they see us, which I've talked to, I think I talked about. I think I talked about when I, when they see us on this, um, on the show before. But yeah, they, that doc, which I thought was so good, which I, which was, I think it was executive produced by Laverne Cox and Laverne Cox was also in it. Like I looked at that doc and I had never seen anything like that before. And I was so appreciative of the information that was shared and the people that I got to know because I loved um, watching Pose, but I wanted something more concrete and not dramatizations. Even though I know Pose was giving real life scenarios, I wanted actual, I didn't want drama. I wanted the real, I love documentaries. I've shared this so many times before on this, on this show. But I did not realize that the people that contributed to that got peanuts, literally peanuts, in terms of the uh, revenue that the thing generated. I'm sitting up here thinking that everybody who was a part of Netflix got paid. Like anybody that like anybody that did anything with a Netflix show, I don't care how cringy it was, got paid big dollars. And it's coming out that they didn't. And I'm like, oh, that's that's trashy. And not surprising, but I'm glad it's all coming out now. I'm glad it's all coming out now. I don't know what, if anything's going to do. I don't think anybody's going to do anything. Well, I don't know what can be done except to shame them publicly and continue to shame them in the hopes that they will, for publicity's sake, switch some stuff up. 
you know what I mean? Shake some stuff up a little bit because shaming do work. Public shaming do work to a certain extent. It's just, we don't want to shame regular Joe Blows unless they've done something felonious. But like corporations, yeah, y'all need to get, I don't feel any way about shaming a corporation because y'all make too many, too many dollars, too many yen, too many coins, too many, too much money on the global market for me to care about you. Um, pay your people and be more aware again, but Netflix may be pumping stuff. I don't know. I don't know if this is going to help shift things. I think it's going to have to happen a couple of more times where folks are like, you know what? Bump Netflix. Y'all ain't, y'all ain't nothing. And I know we've come to this conclusion before with Monique and I was on the fence with that. Um, but the reality of it is pay people, pay people what their value is. And if you know their value and you know, and, and they can, uh, that person can attest to the value that they would bring based on the sheer number of years that they've been in the game or what they bring to the table, like just pay them. You got it. You got it. And you're going to make more money anyway. Like, let's be for real that, that DC, um, special, whatever they paid him, they made it double. They made double that. Cause it's still up in the top rankings, at least on my, my, uh, in, in the U S I was looking today is number three. It's number three in the ratings. Also all of these shows. Can I just tell you, I'm never watching you. I'm never, ever watching you. He looks too basic. That main, that main guy looks way too basic for me to think he's attractive. Like all y'all are talking about. I am never watching that show. Not ever. He looked like a dude. If I saw that, if I saw that actor on the street, I promise you, I would simply just think he was another bro that lived in federal, uh, uh, Fells Point or Canton or Federal Hill. And if you're from Baltimore, you know exactly what I'm talking about. He looked like everybody else. He looked so regular. I will walk smooth past him, smooth past him. Ain't nothing special about the way that this actor looks. And I'm not trying to, I'm not, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not trying to be unkind. It's just, he ain't no hot throb like you're trying to make him be. He look like, I don't find it funny that the show is about stalking and killing people or some aspect of that. That's not cute to me. That's not endearing. Um, also, what? I'm not doing it. He's supposed to have a baby now. I don't care. I don't care about none of that. And it's number one right now in the U.S. today. What? No, I don't. You you can't get me to do it. And that's not me being a hater. It's just I'm not subscribing to this foolishness. I'm not going to give you any views on being basic and weird. Cut it out. Like people be doing that for free. And you sit up here putting it in a show. Anyway, not doing it. But Netflix is on some other stuff. But the, the number ones probably has more to do with what what the U.S. would love to watch some of y'all are, I'm, I'm encouraging some of y'all really to renew your mind on what you find tasteful. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm just never watching that show. Not ever. Not, I came close. I came close. Maybe last year I came close cause they were like, Oh yeah, he's just, this is so interesting. And there's black woman in it and all of this stuff. And I'm like, you, you almost had me with the black woman. You almost had me. And I was like, psych, never. I don't even know why I said psych other than the fact, probably because I couldn't get past the fact that this dude looks real regular and everybody's talking about him like he's a freaking heartthrob. It's about his actions. It's about how he moves. He's a serial killer, isn't he? Is he not a psychopath in the show? That's how y'all got caught up with uh, all them shows about Ted Bundy. All of them shows about a murderer. That's how y'all got caught up with that. Now, 
Ted Bundy looked a little bit a little bit better than average, but like <sighs> I attribute the thirstiness and the boredom of uh, COVID, distancing, and doing COVID is the reason why you even worked. I don't know, but this is coming from a hater of that show and a total lamenter of the fact that they're calling this average-looking white man a heartthrob. Um, and it's like a number one show, but like, get your money. Cause it's, I'm not getting it. I'm not pulling it down. I'm not in the number one show. I'm not starring in a number one show in the United States. So have you get your things, go collect them because clearly a bunch of people want to give your basic, butt all the stuff, all the stuff, maybe he acts his tail off. Maybe that's it. Maybe he just acts his tail off. You're just not getting any of my views. It's just not ever going to happen anyway. But speaking of views, I, I should not have given. Um, I'm going to talk about this in the next segment. I'm going to talk all about. I'm going to talk all about this show because I put the energy into it. And, and by golly, I'm going to I'm going to get something out of it. So I watched Censor, which is an instant cult classic. It's going to be a cult classic, y'all, because the acting is something to behold. Um, the premise is really interesting though. So just stay with me for this ride. I'm going to talk about it like it has a tail, but there's some really good nuggets in here too. So in the next segment, I'm going to talk about all the stars whose names I don't, I don't know none of these stars, but maybe one of y'all can leave me a message and, and y'all will know them because I don't know where I've seen them before. There's a couple that look a little bit familiar to me, but like by and large, I don't know who these people are, but I don't watch a lot of UK uh, UK shows, and maybe I should because I maybe y'all are a little less basic. <sighs> I just cannot get over the fact that you is so highly ranked. But anyway, so I'm gonna step over the UK and I'm gonna start watching more of them, more of y'all shows. Maybe I'll get some, you know, a palate cleanser. You know what I mean? Like refresh, renew my mind to see some other stuff. K, I'm gonna be honest with you. The, the shows out of, of uh, Korea, like I really need to get, I need to like get my stamina up because some of those horror shows, like I should be watching those, but like my delicate heart can't take it. Um, but I'm going to try, I'm going to try this next couple of weeks. I'm going to try to get me at least one in. Um, it's not going to be my name because that's not, how, that's not a horror show. So before you, that's a revenge and I'm not too much into the revenge shows. I got to be honest with you. Um, but, um, I'm definitely going to watch a K-Horror and see if I can get through it. Um, okay. So, all right. I have talked so long. So (laughs) anyway, this might be a long show anyway. So I'm going to talk about, um, I'm going to talk all about censor and you know, what I know about the actors and what I know about any of the particulars and then talk about the show, try to get through it. Um, it's actually a movie. So this time it's actual movie. So I, you, I didn't watch it in one setting because I was just so frustrated. Sometimes I had to turn the thing off, but I got back on it and I finished it. And so I will talk about it. All right. So stay tuned.
Okay, before I begin talking about the particulars of censor, I do want to circle back around. Because, of course, you know, um, if you've listened to this show for any length of time, shout out to anyone who's brand new. Hey, good to hear. Well, I'm not here. Good. I'm glad that you're here. How about that? I'm glad that you're here. Anyway, um, yeah, some I take breaks sometimes because this is a hobby of, you know, this is a thing I do on the side. Um, so I take breaks and sometimes those breaks are days in between. Sometimes it's a couple of hours. Sometimes it's a straight sitting. Um, but I typically take breaks in between recording sessions. And anyway, so of course I took a, a day in between this one or no, a couple of days actually in between this one. And of course I'm on Twitter and you know what? Low key TikTok has taken over my life and I don't know where that came from, but Anyway, that was a non sequitur. I just wanted to share that. But anyway, so apparently, oh, this is why I wanted to share it because um, there, uh, no, I don't know why I wanted to share it. I had something to do with anime, but I can't remember. Anyway, something about clothing. Anyway, it doesn't matter. It's gone now. Um, but anyway, so I was on Twitter, not TikTok, Twitter when I saw that apparently um, film uh, workers in the Korean uh, film industry are on strike right now. Why are they on strike? Because they're pumping out a bunch of movies um, under poor or not unfair labor practices, which, geez, man, of course, of course, no industry is safe, right? Because you cannot just, there was some foreshadowing with Squid Game, right? But they're also naming Squid Game as one of the reasons. Look at it. Well, look at how they're pumping out my name and, and uh, Netflix specifically. My name. Oh, sorry. Let me back up. If I'm not mistaken, it's the it's the not everybody in the Korean film industry, but specifically folks connected to. Or it's possible that it's also just folks that are connected to or specifically folks that are connected to Netflix. But generally uh, the industry workers are getting are are boycotting at the moment unfair labor practices um i mean and what have we heard out of hollywood we've heard out of hollywood that like it's kind of a joke and it's almost kind of said as like a rite of passage that you work the crummiest of crumb jobs or not the crummiest of crumb jobs but you're treated poorly very poorly and that's how in a lot of ways um the hollywood me too piece was able, has been enabled, or wasn't able to go on for so long, not that it stopped, but like so many monsters were able to just thrive because of that whole, I got to grind and make no money, but I'm, but I'm going to make some money eventually. And I don't want to burn my bridges, which also equates to me not telling on anybody. And I'm probably doing a terrible job of summarizing or summarizing me too. But the reason why I think this whole thing is relevant is because just like we fantasized, or not we fantasized, but that folks romanticized the director or the writer of Squid Game, um, how long he labored to write the thing, even selling his, his uh, computer at one time to be able to afford his rent or food or both or something like that. We romanticized that, right? But here's the other piece, when we're making the thing, so not only do we give, it, uh, give writers a hard time, but we also give key grips a hard time. And the people who are working on, I just, that was one of the, that was one of the only, <laughs> one of the only jobs that I could name. The only reason why I'm saying key, key grip is because I 
one of the kids that I went to, one of the people that I went to school with is in the film industry and he's a photographer, he's a cinematographer. And he's not like a big name director, but he's like on that piece and he made some amazing things when we were in high school. And anyway, um, he, occasionally on his on his social pages, he talks about some of the um, films that he's worked on and some of the directors that he's met and actors that he's met and all of that. Um, and anyway, so he, uh, I think a, a little while back, he mentioned something about a key grip and I was like, Ooh, I, that's, I know something. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Um, <clears throat> but no, like everybody behind the scenes, if you look on the film, all those credits are those people who worked on this thing. The people at craft services, the people, all the whole lighting team, the whole special effects team, the whole, uh, design team right? Like everybody. But I don't know specifically if it's animators or who in who's doing the boycott, except or who's leading the charge on the boycott. Um, except that the thing is happening and consciously support the, the strike in the way that makes sense. And also consciously support these films that are pumping out because Netflix, again, Netflix be pumping out films and I've already talked about their issues with colorism and quality. I, maybe not in this episode, but um, definitely talked about colorism already. But anyway, um, yeah, so it does, it's, it does not surprise me. Netflix be pumping things out and that act obviously comes at a cost. And I wonder, this is what I wonder, and I, and I don't know this for sure. Um, so it wasn't my memory. It, my memory doesn't have this noted that Netflix was pumping out content at the same frequency they pumped it out in 2020. 2020, I remember there was darn near a new release every week. I don't recall if it was the same frequency in 2019, 2018, 2017, don't remember it. But I definitely remember in 2020 to capitalize on, on, on most of the workforce across the globe being home and able to watch their things, they were pumping out a lot of product at a certain point in the pandemic. Certainly not, not early on in the pandemic, but probably by March. No, probably by April, May, they had the thing together where they were pumping out content ahead of schedule. I thought I, I got, I got the sense that it was a little bit ahead of schedule, but anyway, I wonder since then, since they've been pumping out new things with some regularity since they began, I recognize that they began pumping it out back in April of 2020. I wonder if the working conditions devolved as a result of that in the Korean film industry. Because certainly what we know is that certain poor, what I can tell you is, well, from my perspective, everybody kind of knows that poor quality films got bumped up, um, got some play, Indie films got some play. Some some films that were tried to be that um, weren't released in 2018 for whatever reason got some play. Remember uh, the Wicker Man? They debuted that thing like it was something. That thing came out in 2018, but they debuted it. They debuted it um, on Netflix like it was that deal. And of course, it's a cult classic now because Netflix, this big provider, pushed it pushed it out right. And everybody recognizes that it's kind of cringy and a little bit bad, but. It's, it's a cult film now, and I'm going to get to this cult film in a second. 
it's me being shady, but it is what it is. Um, but yeah, so I just wonder if them pushing out, if their desire to meet Global's demand and push out product on a weekly basis, multiple different types of product on a, on a weekly basis, I wonder if that had anything to do with the laxed or poor or just not, just not ethical um, working standards that, in, 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 at least in the Korean film industry, that um, the workers are standing up against. At any rate, I stand with their workers um, because I don't need you not to be eaten in order for me to get that film that was mediocre at best. Now, mind you, Squid Game was not mediocre at all. The production, the cinematography, the whole thing was beautiful. But, like, I don't need Squid Game at the cost of somebody eating at the cost of somebody living at, at poverty, poverty line, but doing their craft, they could be getting paid a livable wage to do that thing. So anyway, um, just wanted to put that out there um, because I, I did, I wanted to acknowledge it because no sooner did I start talking about how I needed to watch a bunch of more Korean films. And I do still want to do that. I do want to consume more Korean films because, you know, it's just more, some, I'm not even trying to be unkind. Well, I am. I don't care how a person in the Hollywood film industry feels about it. But like the things that get bumped up, it seems it seems from my perspective anyway, from my perspective anyway, that there tends to be more creativity. So I just want to slide over there and see what's what. Um, But anyway, but let me get back to this film and how I'm a fun fact. I didn't finish this film. I, I have 30 minutes left on this thing, so it's not going to be, I'm not going to spoil the end because I haven't seen the end. Because, baby, something happened in this film that just, I could not finish it any further. And I guess the thing that I want to say as a kind of a preamble to this thing is that the premise of this movie, Censor, is really freaking scary, which is someone with a traumatic past overcomes that traumatic past, maybe not in the most healthy way, but overcomes that traumatic past in order to, in order, and then, and then assumes this role that really has an impact on shaping UK culture in a, in a lot, and, or at least the things that UK culture consumes um, in censor. And censor, it, the, the phrase is censor for a reason. Um, the main character, and I'll go into this in a minute, but the main character literally is a film censor. And what we know is that there have been whole documentaries in here in the U.S. about um, censoring movies and the film industry. And, you know, if, if something gets an NC-17, you're almost, you're almost uh, certainly stopping that thing and, and its chances from becoming a blockbuster hit because... 17, only 17 and older folks are able to watch it, which means you're getting, you're losing the, the young teenage crowd, um, which are big time consumers. And then also like parents will be less inclined to take their kids to go see this. Um, if it's got that rating on it, because if it's got that rating on it, it's, it's usually men, it, it kind of makes it seem like it's some nasty stuff afoot and probably some stuff you really don't want to with talking with your kids about, right? So anyway, we, we had this whole discussion here in the, U, the U.S. about censorship and all of that stuff and, and what that really means and folks, First Amendment right. And, and we've had for 
I specifically remember since I have been able to be aware, probably with the advent of cable, probably before that, but I remember, I don't remember a time before cable. I remember I didn't have cable for a little while when I was a child, but by the time I was a teenager, I had the internet, I had cable, I had a computer in my house, I had a computer in the home, and I was in chat rooms. Yes, girl, chat rooms. That's how old I am. Um, dot Matrix, holla at me. Uh, floppy disk, what's up, y'all? Um, Apple IIe, we see each other. We see each other. Anyway, um, and some of y'all think I'm talking gibberish. And that's okay, because that's how much technology has changed. Anyway, um, but if I say Motorola flip phone, everybody know what I'm talking about now because they're coming back, which is the only way that I can feel not so sad. Anyway, I'm never going to get one of those, and you shouldn't either, but it's fine. Um, Because we have evolved, y'all. Anyway, um, but no, so like censorship has been a thing in the United States since before I was born. Um, and I'm saying that like I mean, I say that like I'm old as time, but it's been a thing in the in the U.S. since probably the '70s when those Mongo films were coming out. Mango, Mongo, Mondo, Mondo. Italian films were coming out. Those the films I remember watching in in college as a, a, a film critique uh, was um, Goodbye Uncle Tom. If you guys have not watched, let me just. Pause. I, and I know I'm supposed to be talking about cinematography, but one of the films that was not rated highly, or it was, I think it got like an NC, it got like a rated R or something like that, which there is nudity in the film, but it, it's, it was wild and out there. And, and as a result, it kind of has a cult following. If you have not seen um, The Spook That Sat By The Door and Goodbye Uncle Tom, please treat yourself, not treat yourself, but add that to your film collection. Um, and one of these days, I'm literally just going to sit down and talk about cult classic films, what's wrong with them, but then also let's just kind of talk through the importance of them. Because while these films, these, these films are about a very specific aspect of Black American culture or Black American thoughts or, you know, fantasy, right? Like reality fantasy. Um... But the controversy is that the statements are so bold and they're predominantly, they're, they're telling a story that at the time was, was never told on, in film before. But the controversy is that, I mean, there's some graphic things in, in Goodbye Uncle Tom, well, is it good? yeah, yeah, in Goodbye Uncle Tom, there's some really graphic things that would not fly in today's society, right? And, and I think the Mondo film was all about the, and, and by the way, Mondo, if I'm, not, if I'm not mistaken, it's been a little while since I've been in film class, um, but the Mondo films were just a genre of films that were out of Italy done by, I think it was a genre that was created by these Italian filmmakers that were kind of wacky. Um, and they were like shocking, right? Their whole, their whole mo, uh, modus operandi was to be shocking. And so there is some shocking stuff in both The Spook That Sat By The Door um, and uh, uh, Goodbye Uncle Tom. And some of it might be a little bit upsetting. So I'm just telling you that now going in, there's like child nudity, which who in, but child nudity in a, it's what? It's not like a baby in a bubble bath and how innocent. It's like weird. And I just needed to tell you that 
so that you can, and I, I, one of these days I'm going to talk through these films and I'll probably give you the minute minder so you can avoid it because when I saw it, I was confused. Um, and I wanted to chalk it up to the seventies, but I'm like, I don't think that was cool then, but okay. It's definitely not cool now. So I just wanted to give you that forewarning, but so, but I bring those films up because they were banned. They were absolutely banned um, to watch in the United States. And I believe these came out in the 70s, but they were absolutely banned to watch. Spook the set by the door. A spook is a, is a derogative term, is a pejorative for black folks. It's, 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 it's a pejorative for a black, a black person, right? Um, it's just, yeah, they just don't, <laughs> they don't use it. Um, it's, it, but, it, but it, in this film, it also has a double meaning because a spook, uh, the term spook in the 70s was a pejorative for black folks, but it was also a term that was used for FBI agents. So it was like a double entendre um, in, this, in this film context. And anyway, I believe that was banned because of the gratuitous violence. And there's a lot of violence, but there's also some interesting concepts in this thing too. Um, so anyway, I'm not saying that they're great films. I'm saying that they were revolutionary for their time. And they talk about some things that are kind of wild and out there. And some concepts that I don't know that... Django gets pretty close to Goodbye Uncle Tom. But not really. It gets close, but not really. And, you, and even Django, the Quentin Tarantino film, was based on a, a, a Mondo film from the 70s. Django was white in this context, but... And it wasn't based around slavery. So I'm assuming Quentin borrowed from um, Goodbye uh, Uncle Tom. Let's be for real. I don't, and to be honest with you, I didn't even look too much into it. And it only occurred to me right now. He borrowed a lot from Goodbye Uncle Tom, actually. And tried to pass it off as his own. Anyway, um, I hope he gave credit. But anyway, probably didn't. Y'all know that he is not a great person. Not really. Anyway, moving on, let's talk about Censor. I got off the beaten path. Okay, so Censor, this film, is all about this woman who had a very traumatic past, who over, who seemingly overcame this past by hook or by crook, um, and is now in control of shaping what uh, Britain's, I think they're in, in folks in the UK, because I don't think you can say UKans. I think it's Britons. Anyway, and, and the Great Britain. Oh, gosh, I'm out of my depth. Um, anyway, folks in, <laughs> um, folks in the UK can watch. And this film is set in the 80s. So it kind of is around the time. And, and <clears throat> watching this film, I think what I was able to deduce is that not only in the 80s, 70s, 80s, well, 80s and really the 90s, where the American culture was really going through what its determination of what was permissible, what, what was admissible, what wasn't, not admissible, this isn't court, but like, you know, what could pass for public consumption and what needed to go under or what was going to be banned, which ultimately meant that it would go underground and get a lot of cult following. Um, uh, like Rocky Horror Picture Show wasn't something that was... Um, widely supported. It was, it was a cult classic because you couldn't play it um, for regular Joe Blow families, according to who's our censor people, whatever our censor people is, um, the censor people in the United States. But anyway, so 
watching this film, it reminded me that, oh yeah. So it probably wasn't just the United States. It was probably a global thing where countries were trying to determine, you know, kind of get out of that prude sort of puritanical sort of way of thinking about media and trying to determine for themselves what is permissible, what can we show here, and how do we need to tell people about what they're about to see? How do we need to label these things? And again, like I said, in the United States, when you get an NC-17 rating, that, is suit, that essentially just deads your, deads your opportunity for mass consumption and the thing becoming a blockbuster because of the rating itself. Um, and so typically, you know, I, I, I could only imagine that that, but that, well, in, in the context of this censor film, there's, there are a couple of conversations about, you know, and again, I think if, I'm not even telling the story right, but so it was in the 80s under Margaret Thatcher. And what I know about Margaret Thatcher from all the movies that I watched, from all the TV shows that I watched, and um, some of the documentaries that I've watched about punk included Margaret Thatcher in a real, in an interesting way, or UK punk, and it included Margaret Thatcher. Thatcher. And what I know about Margaret Thatcher is that she was a super prude. She was the first woman parliamentarian, um, parliament, no, parliamentarian, not parliamentarian, uh, leader of leader of state, first head of state uh, for the UK, but like she was a super conservative. Um, and she said some wild stuff about brown people um, and wild stuff about poor people too. Um, so I don't know, I, I'm quite sure conservatives in the UK just fawn over her still. Um, Cause it is a big thing for her to be a woman head of state especially a woman had to stay when she was like, come on, like countries weren't doing that. The United States haven't, hasn't even had its first woman uh, head of state. The closest we have right now is Kamala. Um, and she's vice. She's not even the head of state. She's the second, she's second chair. So anyway, um, so I know that that's a big deal, but I also know that a lot of people think that she, uh, had a whole bunch of practices that were anti queer, um, anti black and brown, um, and anti-poor for sure. But that kind of is reminiscent of the conservative kind of platform globally, right? Anyway, so the censorship piece falls in line with her conservative party from what I'm gathering. And again, I am out of my depth. So just read me to the sediment if you choose. And I won't feel nothing about it. I won't feel no ways about it because I'm not educated in that. And I should probably read a little bit more about it. But <coughs> excuse me, nevertheless, back to the show. So the context is this this woman who's overcome a, tra- a traumatic um, experience is now shaping the culture. She herself is a little bit conservative and she's watching these films. And what I didn't understand is that, and I don't know if this is, Well, I mean, I guess somebody has to watch it to know how to rate it, but she specifically specialized in rating these risque films. Like for whatever reason, she, in the film, we don't ever see her as a rate, as a uh, censor watching kid shows or watching PG-13 or, or like romance films. We see her watching like slasher films and Bloods, Guts, and Gore, and it's her job to put the rating on it so that it can um, 
properly be censored. And so that's kind of how we see her. And again, it feels very much like it mirrors what could have been happening here in the 80s and 90s when people were censoring, when, when our, um, that part of Hollywood was censoring films and all of that stuff. And we were having that censorship debate. Anyway, but the film itself, um, its runtime is an hour and 24 minutes, which is surprising that I couldn't get to the last 34. That's how trifling I am, that I couldn't even, it's only an hour and 24 minutes and I couldn't get to the last 30, 34 minutes, which let's be for real, probably the last 10 were credits. So what am I really saying? I'm saying the last 24 minutes, I just could not do. Couldn't do it, babies. Couldn't do it. Anyway, um, because something happened and I just stopped. And perhaps by the end of this, I will renew my mind, go watch it. And next episode, I will tell you all about it. But I'm not going to do it now. You won't catch me. Anyway, um, so at the moment, this thing was released on June 11th in the United States. So I don't know when it was released in the UK. Um, But it... Currently has a 6, point, uh, 6 out of 10 rating on IMDb that feels a little high for me. 89% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Again, very high. Um, and let me just click on here and see who put this here because it couldn't have been the critics, right? Oh my gosh. So it, well, hold on. So I'm with the audience. So it's 89% fresh on the tomato meter. It's 57%. You can't even say that's fresh because the popcorn bowl is is turned over and the popcorn is spilled out. Uh, the tomato meter readings, it's again, 89% is fresh, certified fresh. At, after 150 reviews, the audience score is 57%, not so fresh, kind of stale, um, after 100 plus reviews. And so the critics' consensus is occasionally uneven, but bold and viscerally effective. Censor makes um, a bloody good step forward for British humor, or horror, British horror. Okay. Hmm. Hold on. Let me read. Occasionally uneven. It's the uneven part that stopped me. Let's be for real. When I don't know what they're meaning by uneven, but let me tell you what I'm meaning by uneven. So again, I told you, uh, well, let me give you the premise. A British film censor links a disturbing horror movie to her sister's mysterious disappearance. Now that is a very good description. That's a very good synopsis. In a nutshell, that's an extremely great synopsis. Here's the piece that they're not telling you in this. Part of the thing that makes this a horror movie is remember what I said that the lead person, and I'll get to who the lead person is in a minute, but remember when I said that she had to overcome a traumatic experience in her childhood by hook or by crook? Um, Well, the hook part, the hook part is that her parents just kind of her parents went through it too, in a way. Her parents lost their child. Her, their child disappeared. And so they lost the daughter and this lead character lost her sister. So the hook is, well, let's just not talk about it. Shoo, let's just not talk about it um, because the talking about it is, is the thing that's getting us. The crook piece is... <laughs> I'm gonna just go ahead and tell you this. This character has been looking for her daughter, her sister, the whole time. Occasionally reminds her parents that she's looking for the her sister. Um, but yeah, apparently uh, this woman appears to be in her 30s, 
Like if she's in her 30s, she's our early 30s. And or maybe she's in her late 20s um, and she just looks a little bit older. Um, but anyway, she's been looking. The, the crook part is she's been looking for her sister the whole time. So I'll get into that. Um, but let me just tell you. So the lead character is Enid Baines, who's played by Naima, Nima Alger. Mm, I suck. Nima, Niama, Niam. Mm, Niam Alger, I've never heard of her before. Um, Alice Lee is Sophia Laporta, uh, Laporta, Sophia Laporta, who is uh, Enid's uh, sister. Um, girl, why would I do that? Um, and then there's some other people. Okay, so anyway, so I'm, I'm mostly going to talk about Enid. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm just actually just going to talk about Enid and occasionally bring up her sister, Alice. Alice is her sister that's missing. Enid is the censor. Enid has been looking for her sister the whole time in an interesting way, like as an adult, but in an interesting way. So let me get, oh, what do I want? How do I want to, how do I want to play this? Um... Okay, so let me just say this. So it's set of, so actually I've already told you a lot about the premise that it was set in the 80s um, in a very, under a, a very prudish um, administration. It, it seems like a very prudish uh, administration. Um, and anyway, um, oh, well, hold on. Let me, so let me just go, go further. So it was released January 28th at Sundance and August 20th in the UK, but it was released on June 11th in the United States for some weird reason. Okay, whatever. Even though it's a UK film, it was filmed in the UK. It's 84 minutes long. It's the, the language is in English. It has grossed $128,941, which is not a lot of money. Um, which is why it's probably moved. It's just jettisoned into a cult classic. Um, but yeah, so yeah, basically she is, she's a censor who's going after risque films and by risque, risque horror films that got a lot of sex, got a lot of blood, guts and gore. Um, anyway, so one of the things that strikes me and it kind of makes it a horror film is the juxtaposition of her. Like we get to see her job. And again, I said, it's clear that she doesn't watch fun. She doesn't watch like lighthearted stuff. She's watching that heavy stuff. Right. And I guess I didn't realize that in order for a censor to give a movie a rating, they literally have to watch the whole thing. And so we see when we meet Enid, like she's watching films and basically the whole time when we're engaging with Enid, she's literally watching films or talking about the films that she just watched. She's rewatching very specifically hard scenes in a film that are like really graphic to determine whether or not it's, it's passable um, as a, it flies under the radar or if we got to slap a, a specific rating on it, which again is a big deal in the film industry because if you're looking to try to make something that is going to garner you a lot of money, you wanted to have a rating where most of the people who have the ability to see it, can see it. But if you slap a, a, a big fat rating on it, like in the US, it's the NC-17, you limit your audiences, but also you, also, you make the t- teenagers more determined to watch the thing than ever. Anyway, so we're kind of in this little battle where there's a film 
Um, oh, and apparently, I'm sorry, I'm looking this up right now. A- apparently, dur- while this film takes place is a period that really did happen in, the, in Britain where it was called the Video Nasty Controversy. Is it? During the height of the Video Nasty Controversy. Her, yeah, this was a thing. Hold on, let me... Video nasty is a colloquial term popularized by the National Viewers and Licenses Association um, in the United Kingdom to refer to a number of films, typically low-budget horror films. I mean, we had those. Um, um, We call those B-movies. And exploitation films, again, B-movies or black black exploitation films or just exploitation films, distributed on a video cassette that were criticized for their violent content by the press. Um, social commentators and vigorous religious or various religious organizations in the early 1980s. Okay, so that 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 checks that checks out because that's essentially like in the, it was in the 80s, but definitely in the 90s. Well, 90s came to music. Probably 80s came for the movies, but the 90s in the U.S. came for the music. I definitely remember that because I was old enough to see the court cases on court TV. I was old enough to to hear about it on the nightly news that they were going after uh, Uncle Luke and two live crew and NWA for censorship. Um, I remember all of that because I was a child and I was not turned off by that music. In fact, I was like, you know, when I get my hands, first opportunity, I'm listening. Anyway, and I know that they were trying to censor rock bands too, but I just, I wasn't listening to rock. I was listening to rap Um, and they was trying to censor my stuff, even though my stuff Probably shouldn't have been listening to it anyway. Um, but okay, so Video Nasty. So so that's the premise. And so if you're from the UK and you're of a certain age or you just are a knowledgeable person, you, you are, are familiar with this context. Um, and so anyway, so she's watching these films with some vigor, right? Trying to get these folks because she doesn't want, she wants to be a part of the, the core that's like putting good stuff out there, wholesome content out there and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, very quickly, like, again, we don't get much introduction to her, except that it's from the context of her job, right? And we know she's a little buttoned up. Literally, her clothes are, her collar is tight and high. Her clothes are kind of bland looking. She's very, she looks conservative, as conservative as, I guess they they really want her to look conservative. And she looks conservative to the point where she's, something she might be just a teench off. And we learn very quickly that she actually is a little teench off in terms of she has not tro- totally healed from the trauma of losing her sister. And some and there's a moment where she's having dinner with her parents who in their older age, they have to be in their late 50s, early 60s at this point. So still very agile, moving around one in an effort to move on with their life and kind of heal from the past trauma. They tell Enid, baby, we're declaring Alice dead and which is wild. And actually she has a moment because at the same dinner where her parents and let's just pause, I get it. Being a parent, losing a child. And for what it, it, at this point, it feels like a decade or probably a more not knowing where your child is and not really being able to move on, kind of being frozen a little bit. I get why them declaring her dead would be a way for them to release that guilt, whatever guilt that they've piled on themselves for not knowing, for not being more aware, for not 
doing more to protect their child that is missing to do for doing more to protect their child that isn't missing and needs support. Like I, I could see why them doing that. I could see why them not only declaring her dead, but then uh, her sister dead, but then taking them, taking um, Eden to dinner to try in a public place to try to kind of heal from that. I don't know if there's a better way to tell it. Like, I don't know if I would have told her beforehand what I was doing. Um, But for that couple, I get why they did it. They needed to move on. That trauma is heavy. And so, but at the same time, as soon as when they say, you know what, we're going to declare Alice dead. We love her, but we can't keep living in this space that we're living in. Enid, Enid self, and this is where she, the unravel begins. Like, first off, she looks like a freaking deer in headlights. She looks completely blindsided by this, which... Again, I don't know if there's a right way to do this. You know what I mean? Like I'm with Enid in that she's still holding out hope, but at the same time, it's like the parents also have feelings too. Parents are people too. So anyway, but she's completely blindsided by this information and then proceeds to say, that's crazy because I think, well, she doesn't use that language, but essentially she's like, that's crazy because I think I found Enid in this film, this nasty video, nasty film that I was watching. And, and the parents give you, give the expression like, oh, here we go. Because apparently this is not the first time that Enid as a censor has been looking for her sister and saw, or, or not, maybe not looking for her, but saw her sister in this, in a film and then tried to run the actress down and come to find out that it wasn't her doggone sister. Um, just another redheaded woman with some pale skin, um, which, you know, Enid was chasing after to be her sister. And the parents are like, oh, here we go. And all of this stuff. Now this is the eighties. So it's probably before anybody was comfortable recommending people to a shrink or to a psychiatrist to kind of talk through the trauma of this missing sibling, this missing family member. So I feel for Enid. It's super unhealthy, which is the point of this film. Like this film really essentially follows Enid under, uh, uh, on this very unhealthy spiral that uh, following this this director who is putting out who typically puts out some of the nastiest content in terms of horror films um down this path because she watched she censored one of his films and saw a woman that looked like her sister what her sister would be as an older woman uh, all grown up basically and so down the rabbit hole we go and she is unraveling. Again, we meet her. She's buttoned up in every sense of the term. She's got a literal button up on. And the very top of the top button is buttoned at her uh, throat. You don't see any cleavage. It's tight, right? And she even, there's even a moment where somebody in the sensor, uh, one of her coworkers tries to mack on her and she's so preoccupied with trying to find, trying to determine if this particular actress is her sister and trying to get clues that, she can't even be bothered. She's checked out again. She is emotionally stunted. She's dealing with the trauma and the loss of her sister. Here's the other thing. What we learned very quickly is that Edith was there when her sister disappeared. And Enid was also very unable or unable to communicate what happened 
um, to her parents, as evidenced by the remember the dinner table scene I just described, where they pronounced Alice dead. Enid is like, oh, no, don't do that. I think I found her. You know, some things happen. And her parents were like, well, girl, you have never really been clear to us about what happened. So it's clear to me that you don't really know what happened. You know, flashes and bits. What we know now flashing forward to 2021 is trauma is a hell of a thing. And sometimes very traumatic situations can be blocked out by the brain because the, the brain can't handle it in that moment. If, you, if it's too emotionally overwhelming, it's too scary, we, the brain has a way of protecting itself. And in this context, the way it protected itself, the way it most often protects itself in trauma is to literally block out most of what you're saying. And in some cases, all of what you're saying, depending on how traumatic it, that situation is for you. Brain is a wild thing. Um, and so anyway, so she, see bit, she sees bits and pieces of this, of, of what happened. She actually dreams bits and pieces of what actually happened and to the point where as an adult, she doesn't know what's real and what's not anymore. Because again, she's a censor and she sees a lot of horror movie type things. And some of her visions are kind of blending with some of the horror movies that she's watching, which makes this a little bit scary, right? And again, it kind of sets up the fact that we have the unraveling of Enid. And to be honest with you, <laughs> probably should be called the unraveling of Enid, but maybe that would be too, too forward, um, too on the nose. But anyway, it's called censor instead. Um, anyway, and it's also possible because I didn't watch the last 20 minutes of the film that I'm probably missing a really key component to why it's called censor other than that's her job. Um, so anyway, so she's unraveling. And I would say that the dinner with her parents and the declaration of Alice being dead was the first thread to her unraveling. But no, she's been slowly unraveling since before that. And if anything, that dinner just kind of sped up the unraveling process because she meets the director. She begins to stalk the director, essentially, of the film that she thinks her sister is in. And there's this weird exchange. I've seen this actor before who's the director. Can't call his name at the moment. Hold on, let me pull him. Let me see if I can... Well, let me back out and see if I can pull the actor. Because I've seen him. Before. Oh, Doug's. Um, no, sorry. Michael Smiley as Doug Smart. Doug Smart is the is the is the director that she's trying to get in touch with to find her sister. I feel like I've seen him a million times before in like British dramas that I've seen or British TV that I've seen. But I can't quite put my finger on it. But anyway, so, of course, she does this weird thing where she begins to stalk him because she wants to try to get in touch with the the actress. Um, and I think at one point she gets close to this actress and she realizes, oh, that's not my sister. But she's like, well, maybe it is my sister and blah to the blue, blue, blue. And anyway, she goes to this director's house. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is where I stopped. She goes to this director's house and she's wanting more answers about that actress. And she is, it's nighttime. She goes at this man's house at night. Not that she's, I'm going to say something and I know how cringy it's going to come out. I'm not suggesting anything. I'm just saying she goes to this man's house and this man is like, oh, you, I know why you over here. Why would you come into my house at night unless you wanted to do the do and begins to try to assault her. And I'm just like, of all the things that we could be, all the places we could be, we're here. 
And so in the struggle and in her fight to not be assaulted, she shoves the ever-living stuff out of the director. And surprise, surprise, this guy falls on a daggone statue in his weird grotesque or his weird house and it impales him. And I stopped watching. I don't know if it was fake. I don't know if, you know what I mean? I don't know if it was a gag. I just stopped watching because it didn't look like a gag. It looked real. And maybe I should have kept watching because it was literally like 24 minutes plus the credits left. But I had to stop. I couldn't do it. Because I'm like, the unraveling to me was a little too fast. It's an hour and 24 minutes. To me, if you really wanted to do this thing justice, you would have given more time. This at least should have been a two-hour film more drawn out so we can really see her unravel, which I guess goes back to what the, the critics were saying in terms of it's kind of, what was the, what was the phrase? Y'all, what was the phrase that was used? Hold on, let me go back to Rotten Tomatoes. What was the phrase that was used? Oh, uh, occasionally uneven. So this is the uneven piece for me. It's an hour and 24 minutes. So of course they get to her unraveling in like the first 20, essentially, right? And then from there, it's just these slow drips and drabs of what vision she saw of Alice the night that Alice disappeared. And there's, you know, it's dark, they're in the woods, there's a trailer, um, there's a vision, there's smoke or mist. There's a vision and then there's a hand holding Alice and taking, taking Alice into the trailer and some desperately stuff happens, right? That, that's what she sees in her, in her visions. We get that and it's just like, it's kind of all over the place, right? Like, the, Britain has produced some scary stuff. Britain has produced some scary stuff. I can't remember. I've, I've reviewed earlier this year, again, because Netflix and, and Hulu and everybody was pumping out films like nobody's business and shows. I remember, what was that movie where the guy essentially through meditation jumped and traded bodies with his friend? The, he was a drug addict and he traded bodies with his friend who wasn't a drug addict was, but was troubled and assumed her life. And then he did it again at the end. I can't remember what the name of that show was, but he, he, he had jumped from um, his body to his friend's body, which is a white woman. From her body, she, excuse me, he befriends this black girl and jumps into her body. I don't remember. I, I reviewed it, but I cannot remember the movie. Anyway, it's a UK film. That was freaking scary. And the way we got, I can't remember if it was a series or if it was a movie. Because I be binging stuff, so it's hard to tell in my memory, in my mind's eye, whether or not it was a, sh- a show or it was a film. But anyway, um, but 124, 80, 87 minutes ain't a lot of time to get where you're going. And so you do need to get there kind of quickly. But that's why this thing feels uneven. And also to me, why it doesn't feel good. Now, again, I stopped watching it at the scene where she like impaled old dude on one of his own statues in his house. After, after he tried to assault her, which what in the world are we doing in 2021 with this? But anyway, um, like not that trope, not that trope. Like, let's be for real, not that trope. Anyway, so I had to stop. But you guys are welcome to watch this thing. Um, and I'm quite sure, I, like I said, I'm, I might go back 
I'm probably going to go back and then I'll talk about it next episode what I felt about the ending. But like, I couldn't do it. I immediately stopped, got up, went to do something else because I said, you're not going to do me like this. You're not going to have me sitting here watching this. You're not going to have me just spend more of my time on this film and you go give me a scene like this. So anyway, I had to go. I had to stop. But you are welcome to continue watching. Um, and let me know in the, sh- um, in the messages or you leave me a, a voice message through anchor.fm, um, at, or the show note, you can click the show notes and leave me a voice message and let me know if I missed something. Let me know if it was a gag or if it was like for real. And then what else happened? Cause you know, I don't care about you spoiling it. I'll watch it anyway. Um, but like, I just had to stop cause that felt insulting. Anyway, the show is super long <laughs> again, this, this episode, Um, I appreciate you for listening. I hope you were doing some menial task while you were listening to this and it helped you get through in any way. I'm glad I could help. Um, if you're just relaxing and you're not just shooting the breeze, I'm glad I could help you relax. Uh, if you fell asleep listening to this, I'm glad I could put you to sleep. Um, yeah. So if you want to, when you wake up, if you want to leave a favorable rating, I would really would appreciate it. Cause ultimately when you rate this thing, well, when you leave messages, that's how, it kind of gets on um, people's radar. So if you could help out, I'd appreciate that. It costs you nothing to do it, but a little bit of time. So I appreciate you in advance for doing that. If you write a favorable rating uh, or a review, I will read it of this show. I really will read it because it's important to me. On wherever you read, wherever you write the platform, I'll find it and I'll read it. Um, especially if it's positive. If it's not positive, do yourself a favor. Don't spend the energy. Put it somewhere else. Apply that energy somewhere else. I appreciate that. Um, And you do that for you. Apply that energy for you somewhere else, okay? Um, All right. I have talked long enough. That's the show. That's the episode. So have a wonderful day. If you're not having a great day, I pray that you will have a better day because you, you, we all deserve better days, dude. We all deserve better days especially during this pandemic that we all just would simply like to be over. Anyway, take care of yourself. Go eat a cookie or something or something, some comfort food for you. All right. Until next time. Take care.